today we're talking, uh, we're talking about prayer, and we're in the midst of Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 9 to 12 is our text, and uh, Tucker read it already for us this morning, so I'm not going to read it again. Um, what do you think about when you think a sermon on prayer is coming at you? Uh, somebody asks you, how is prayer going? How is your life of prayer going? Um, common responses, uh, a tinge of guilt, I don't pray enough. Uh, I struggle because I feel like I don't know how to pray. Um, when people ask me to pray in a group of people, I'm concerned about what they're thinking about me, so I, I clam up and I click out and I, and I, and I struggle to know uh, where to go. Um, so fear is a real thing. If I could just mention at the front end here, this, uh, this time talking about prayer is, it really is more about Jesus and specifically, the way Paul is talking about prayer, he's, he's praying for someone else. And in that way, prayer is extremely personal, uh, but it's less about all the stuff that's going on inside of us and, and more about what's going on with you. Intercessory prayer is more about what's going on with you. And even more importantly, where does Jesus fit in that? What does Jesus think about that? And what do I think about Jesus? And I want, what do I want them to know and grow in as it relates to Jesus? In Colossians, it doesn't change here as Paul is praying. It is a message that is all, it's all about Jesus. Where we start is, where we start is with Jesus-centered prayer being relational. Jesus-centered prayer is, is completely relational. It, it, it involves me, it involves others, and it involves Jesus. And it's not just information that's being exchanged. It is people who are engaged and in interacting with what's going on in life, with what has happened, what is true about Jesus. It all gets brought to the table and gets talked about openly in a very personal way. Uh, spent some time in Australia. I appreciate your prayers for that. And this ministry that I was a part of, Re Restore Ministries, one of the things we say about uh, an intensive with Restore Ministries, it's, it's really just us getting a group of, of, of men and women in a room and getting them to talk to Jesus again. What would that conversation look like today? If you were locked in a room with Jesus... What would that look like? If you were locked in a room with Jesus for an hour, for three hours, for, for three and a half days, what would that conversation look like? My guess is it would probably start pretty slow, pretty quiet. My guess is Jesus would move towards you in a way that would bring you comfort. My guess is the grace of God would impact you in such a way that, would, that would, would cause you to see yourself much more clearly and you would begin to open up. And that conversation would, over time, become rich and in-depth. Not because we're good at prayer. Because Jesus is good. And he is gracious. And he is kind. And he moves towards us with amazing compassion and mercy. His character gets brought to the table when we talk about prayer. 
It's not about us. Paul starts here, he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. There's people involved here. Heard what? Heard what? He he heard back in verse 4 and 5 and verse 6 of this same chapter, we hear that there are things that got talked about. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, Verse 6, indeed the whole world, and it's, it, uh, it is, uh, indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. He heard that there's really good stuff going on in Colossae. He heard that the gospel has impacted their lives so much so that they are bearing fruit. And they're seeing that fruit go not only amongst their church, but, but he's, he's expounding on how the fruit of the gospel is moving throughout the whole world. It's epic. It's beautiful. It's amazing what God is doing in these people's lives. He got good news. He got good news. Paul's Deep concern for people takes what, what they heard about the people of Colossae to the person of Jesus. It's not just information gathering. It's not just information exchange. There's people's lives here. And don't you know what, what is true about people in prayer? Listen. Listen. What is true about people in prayer, not all people have physical needs. Many of us do, the older I get. Many of us do. But not all people have physical needs, but every single one of us has spiritual needs. Every single one of you, every single person you come in contact, there is a spiritual condition in that person. There's a spiritual condition surrounding that person's life that needs to be addressed and can be addressed by bringing it before Jesus, the person of Jesus. All people have spiritual needs. Paul really thinks it's good to get personal with Jesus. We get to get personal with Jesus. We get to bring every little nook and cranny of life before him. When you get news, when you get news, what do you do? What do you do when you get news from someone? If it's good news, if it's good news, isn't it most common that we just kind of click out? When you get good news, you think to yourself, well, that person doesn't need prayer, right? That's just so common. When it's bad news, what do you do? I mean, just be honest with yourself for a moment. When you get bad news, what is the knee-jerk response of your soul? A couple of them that came to mind for me. There are times when I turn to worry first. There are times when I when I turn to another person and I hear about bad news and and I want to talk to another person about that. When I hear bad news, I I can get afraid. It scares me. I don't know what's going to happen. Being the male person that I am, I, 
typically want to fix it. <laughs> when I get bad news, I, I begin to strategize. How, how, how are we going to, what, what's the angle we need to take on this? Jesus-centered prayer doesn't click out on good news and it doesn't click out and move towards self-saving behavior. Jesus-centered prayer takes what, what could become, listen, what could become a cul-de-sac and turns it into a through street. It takes what could become a cul-de-sac and it turns it into a through street. See, when bad news comes and when, when good news comes, whatever news it is, whatever the circumstances of life are, if that turns into a cul-de-sac, what happens in a cul-de-sac if your car keeps rolling? It just goes round and round and round. I don't know what you call this, but if you get a body of water that heads into a cul-de-sac, what happens to it? It gets stagnant and nasty. Prayer takes what could become a cul-de-sac of fear and anxiety, depression, control, and it turns it into a through street. It takes it to a place where there actually is someone to talk to who deeply cares about those circumstances, and we get to move forward. And Keller says this, prayer gives us relief from the melancholy burden of self-absorption. How often does that happen? The circumstances of life, I spend less time bringing them before the Lord and more time just trying to figure it out. And I just can't sort it out. And I can't resolve it. And I can't, and I, 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 and there's that dead pool cul-de-sac. The world of people's concerns do not revolve around me. Do you believe that? The world of people's concerns does not revolve around you. You know who the world of people's concerns revolves around? It revolves around Jesus. The world of people's concerns revolves ultimately around Jesus. Jesus is personally engaged with each one of those circumstances of people's lives. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because, what? He cares for you. Casting, casting some of your anxieties on him. No. Casting all but this one right here that I'm going to have to manage upon him. No. Cast your care on your spouse. Cast your care on one of your best friends because they'll really understand, right? Cast your cares on your pastor. Cast all your cares on your parents. Somebody's going somebody's to care for that. Jesus cares for you. He wants to hear all of it. Everything that comes, every bit of news that comes your way, whether it be good news or bad news, let me say it this way. You get to cast those cares upon Jesus. He wants them 
that anxiety that, pen, that, that gets all pent up in that Deadpool cul-de-sac, make that a through street. Let him be the outlet of that. Is it bad news? Lament. Oh, God, it's horrible. God, it hurts. Is it, is it wonderful? Is it good news? God, she came to know Jesus, and she loves you. Look at, look at how they sing together, and they love God. He wants all of it. And we come to him, just like Paul says, he, Paul comes asking. He comes asking the Lord. He's asking God for something specific. He's asking God for the Colossians to have more knowledge of God. That's the, that's the objective. That's the big deal of this prayer. He wants them to know God more. I'm sure there's all kinds of circumstances. Now, he actually knew there's some really tough circumstances. There were some false teachers that were infiltrating the church. Now, he could have hit that really hard right there on the spot. God, would you just shut them up and get them out? didn't. God, I don't want, I want them to know you. I, I want them to know you so richly and so deeply that it matters for life. Jesus-centered prayer wants a rich knowledge of God. Wants a rich, rich knowledge of God. He says that he's asking that, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's prayer is not a stingy portion. The word filled is really amazing. He, 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 wants, he wants them to be full up to the top and overflowing. He wants them to be filled, complete. He wants all of it for them. Knowing of God's will is the, it's the objective. He, he wants them to know God's will. Now the context of this knowledge that we're talking about, there's three knowing words. There's, there's the knowledge of God's will, a knowledge of his will. There's wisdom that he talks about. And there's understanding. Now, that's a lot of knowledge kinds of things. It's not where we're going to stay. It's not the only thing. But it's really, really important. And he's addressing something specifically here. And let me tell you about it. Paul is praying specifically for these faithful brothers that, that they would be able to address. They would have a, have a, a content in their soul, a knowledge of God that would help them address the flavor of the day, so to speak. The flavor of the day was seeking to infiltrate the church, and it was called Gnosticism. The Gnostics believed that everything, everything that is spiritual is of value, that it's good, and it led them to this, this theological or theoretical high tower kind of thinking. It ended up with a, with a mysticism and a that, that wasn't attached to truth, but had some experience attached to it, but it, it was more about knowing lots of information and really, really high information, and, and everything led them to a, to a higher spiritual knowledge, and, and it was elitism at its best, spiritual elitism. They also thought that everything physical was useless, and it didn't matter. Imagine what a life like that is. 
I can think about really, really high plane kinds of things, and I can come up, if it's not even bound to truth and, and propositional truth, I can come up with real highfalutin thoughts, and then I can do whatever I want to do. Licentiousness. Licentiousness was a characteristic of these people. What impact does that have on me? Somebody who's in a high tower that lives like the devil, they look at me and say, you haven't arrived yet, have you? You, you, just, you just don't get it yet. One day you'll understand what I understand, and you too will end up drunk at the bar with me, with the prostitutes. And you'll understand that it's not about that, it's about this over here. And, and it was not based on, on God's truth. Be like us, and one day you'll measure up. Paul's language here is really important. See, the Gnostics pursued the Greek term gnosis. It's knowledge. The Gnostics wanted just lots of information and high information, and they wanted to put this stuff together and create high-tower kinds of thinking about spirituality. But Paul's language is, now let me stop here for a second. It might sound a little bit like I'm saying knowledge is bad, and knowledge isn't bad. And one commentator said it this way, it's, it, 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 God doesn't put any premium on ignorance. God doesn't put any premium on ignorance. Not knowing is not the key to moving forward with God. Paul prays that, that they wouldn't just have knowledge, but they would have epinosis, a, a greater knowledge something that's more significant related to who God is. Paul's picture of greater knowledge is rooted in the character of God, in the truth of God's word. Paul prays that they would have a greater knowledge based on God's will, the spiritual wisdom that comes from understanding God's will that's it requires, it requires an intelligence about the facts of what's going on. Wisdom refers to, 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 to understanding the specifics of God's word. Spiritual understanding focuses on the ability to analyze and put things together that make sense. Can you imagine being able to have the wisdom and the understanding to put together the story of God and the character of who God is, and be able to walk through life with a greater knowledge of what? Of God, of who he is. This knowledge of God is not to impress or for status. It is knowledge of the will of God. Now, Paul could be referring here to these theological topics of the will of God, theological topics of, 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 of knowing uh, what God has decreed, therefore is going to come to pass, knowing the will of God of what, what God has commanded, therefore I am going to obey God. But I, I don't think that actually is Paul's gist here. Kent Hughes says, says this about this text. He says, while the tendency of Christians today is discerning the specific will of God for one's life, 
Paul's letters see the will of God as the divine narrative of redemption from creation to the kingdom. Indeed, to know the will of God is to know God. Now, this makes sense to me. If knowing the will of God is, is to know God, I, I then can put this in the context of this, of this passage and within this book and say, it really, knowing the will of God is it's really all about Jesus. It really is all about him. To, to know the will of God is to know him and what he has done. To be filled with the knowledge of God is, of the will of God, is to be saturated by the gospel story. It's to have the Holy Spirit uh, speaking and, and interpreting God's word such that we, we understand the story of redemption. To be overcome by what God has done in history. To make, to make things right from the rebellion of the first Adam all the way to the second Adam. It's to overflow with understanding of, of where we fit in the story. And then the glory that is to come. Epinosis is, is not just knowing God, knowing about God. Let me see, I got my. Epinosis is not just knowing God. It's not just knowing. Epinosis is not just knowing, but, but is knowing God. To so get what God is doing in the world that you can't help but have an impact how you see and process the circumstances of everyday life. It's critical for interpreting life events, especially in suffering, especially in times of suffering. An epinosis, a greater knowledge of the will of God is what allows Jesus to say, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Epinosis is what I see at the, at the helm of some of you as you go through suffering. It's what I see at the helm of, of many of you as we have been going through this season of life as a church. That is not about the immediate. It's not even about my emotions. What is God doing? What is God doing in the world? What is God doing with us? What is God going to do with us? Is there suffering? Suffering? Absolutely. Is there hurt? Absolutely. But God's will, God's will matters most in all of it. It's what I need today. This knowledge, that, this knowledge that Paul prays for these believers, it has purpose. And, and what, is it, what is the purpose? The purpose is that they would walk differently in the world. That they would walk differently with people. Jesus-centered prayer. Jesus-centered prayer connects the knowledge of God with spiritual living. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, that's something that I want. 
That's something that just caught my eyes. I read that text. Like, I want to grow in my understanding of that, that epinosis. I want to grow that way, and I long for that. And this is what Paul is praying for these people. He's saying, you, I, I, I want this knowledge for you. I want this wisdom. I want this understanding for you. Not just like the Gnostics that just kind of blow up their head and, and live in high towers, but that you would walk with God. That you would walk with people in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God and spiritual living are always connected. That is, theology and living are inseparable. And I'll add this. Theology and living, sometimes we forget it and we just think it's information. Theology and living with people is inseparable. It's a given for us. We live in community. So what we know is supposed to impact how we live together. Knowledge that makes us non-personal is not biblical theology. Knowledge that makes us non-personal, that makes us click out and check out of relationship with people is not biblical theology. Jesus, as example, moved towards people, moved towards mankind. Knowledge used, say it this way, knowledge used to escape being personal is a violation of biblical theology. Knowledge used to escape, I sat with a man years and years ago, and he was so, so smart. He had so much information and so much content of theology, yet his marriage was an absolute wreck. And to look him in the eye and say, how is it going? How's, you, how's it going, your relationship with so-and-so? And he would come back with all kinds of information about divorce and remarriage in the church and what God thinks about this and what God thinks about that and give me a whole string of information. Is Okay, 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 let's come back to the question. How's that working for you? Where is that going to meet the road? Where is that rubber going to meet the road? Knowledge used to escape being personal is a violation of biblical theology. Paul prayed for a knowledge of God that would produce people who bear fruit. The reason why we teach, the reason why the word of God is so important is that the spirit of God uses it in our lives to transform and change, not just that we would sit in a high tower and talk about it, but that we would walk together, one, and one with another, and it would be different and bring great glory to God because it looks like Jesus. Look like people who, people who serve one another and people who love other people, people who pray for people. This is what it looks like. Sorry, I'm missing something here missing a text. There it is. The knowledge of God and living with people 
this is where growth in knowing God works. Isn't it? It's kind of strange. You think he's praying that they would know God and they would know God, that they would walk with people with this knowledge of who God is and the will of God. And that walking with other people actually produces more knowing God. So if we become a cul-de-sac of knowledge and, 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 be, and, and we live in high towers, there actually isn't more knowing God. So here's the challenge. The challenge is that with our knowledge of who God is and what God has accomplished, we would actually get up out of our seat and we would move towards somebody, ask, and then listen, and then pray. We would, we would actually engage personally with one another. That we would, we would actually walk out what it is, it is to be safe before God, knowing who he is, that he cares for us, and we would pray for one another. You ought to hear that as a bit of a prompt, because that's coming. We can't not practice that as the people of God. Paul and Timothy are not laying a load on these brothers and sisters. They know that they don't have what it takes to get it done. I don't have what it takes to move forward. I need the power of God to help me move forward. You do. Even as I said, we're actually going to pray for one another a little bit. That little thing in the pit in the bottom of your stomach that goes, I don't want to do that. We need help. We need help. We need the spirit of God and we need the power of God for us to move forward. Jesus-centered prayer leans into limitless power. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. The word used for strengthen here implies that there is a, a continual supply that's going to come your way. He wants a continual supply of God's power, of God's strength to come your way. It's a miraculous kind of power. It's God's power that's supplied from heavenly storehouses. It's scaled by God's glory and the kind of power that invokes awe. It's the kind of power that I need to move forward. Can I just be frank? Y'all scare me a little bit. <laughs> and, and many times I get pegged as the guy who's kind of relational in that because I'm kind of relational that, that this comes easy for me. And it's not true. Every time I have to get up out of my chair and move towards somebody else, there is, there is a fear that rises up in me. See, I got, one of my biggest struggles is the fear of man. I'm more concerned about what you think of me than what I think of me. And so I need the power of God as I move forward. And I, and I trust him by faith. I, I get up out of my chair and I move towards you and I ask a question, how's it going? 
And I'm prepared to sit and listen. Listen to what happens. Listen to what you say. And then ask another question. Maybe a probing question to get a little bit deeper into that situation. Maybe you want to be known more. Maybe it's a question that, that maybe prompts you to go a little bit further. Maybe it's a question that helps you, helps you see or talk about a motivation. But I move towards you. And it's scary for me. I need the power of God to move me forward. I need the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This power, this power of God is, is useful for what? Why do we need the power of God? Because he's praying that they're going to be enduring and they're going to be patient. For all things. Now the power of God is for, for, for miraculous stuff, right? To be healed, to be delivered. How about to be patient? How about to be patient? How about to endure? Neither of which are good for me. Neither of which are easy for me. You know who is? You know who is enduring and patient? Jesus. Jesus. All endurance and patience in him. Thank you.